Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That led me, an evangelical in my early 20s, into a deep dive into the history of Christianity, from the Bible to church history to the Reformation and everything in between. And it was there I encountered Catholic theologians, actual Catholics, writing about what Catholics actually believed. And it was then that I realized what I thought I knew about Catholics was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by Father Nathan Caswell. You might recall, a while ago, I had a Joshua Caswell on this show, Father Joshua Caswell, Superior General of the Canons Regular St. John's Cantius Church. Well, this is his older brother. Back then, Joshua told me that Nathan had a fantastic story to tell, and here he is on the show to tell it to us, and it is a doozy. From heading up north with his family of evangelical missionaries, to becoming a Catholic, to heading into the wilderness of Canada and having experiences on mushroom farms and cutting down trees and standing at the ocean, speaking or, or hearing the, the voice of God speaking back to him and the, the grandeur of the ocean and the tide and coming back home and becoming Catholic and living out that life in the priesthood these days, in an incredible vocation. It's a fantastic story. There's something for everyone to like in this one, and I think that you will love it. It's a great one. This conversation and all others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. And I have a new patron to thank this week. Thank you, Christine, for your support of the podcast. You are incredible and help to keep this thing going and growing. If you want to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. This isn't, as you know, my full-time job, and your support helps me to keep being able to do this thing week after week. Gosh, it takes a lot of time sometimes, and I appreciate your support, so thank you. Without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation with Father Nathan Caswell. It's a great one, guys. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe and like this video so that it gets some traction and, and people will see it. If you're listening on podcasts, well, we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Courts of Catholic. So please do watch us there as well and uh, subscribe. This week is going to be a fabulous conversation. And I know that because I've already talked to somebody about this story this stuff who knows these stories on a different episode i am joined this week and they're good stories <laughs> i am joined this week by father nathan caswell he is the pastor of saint peter's in volo illinois in uh that's in, in chicago area for those of you who are international listeners he is a canon regular of saint john cantius and he is, of course, the brother of a former guest of ours, Father Joshua Caswell, who we had on the program 
a while back. And of course, I need to mention this. He is a Canadian living in exile. Uh, so <laughs> when we get Canadians on the show together, <laughs> it's always a good time. Father, it uh, is, yeah. Father Nathan, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am already... Yeah. I'm already so thrilled to speak to you because uh, listeners of this show, long-time listeners to this show will have heard your, my episode with, with your brother, Father mm-hmm. Joshua. They'll know a bit of what to expect with, with the stories that, that you have to tell in, in your kind of conversion to Catholicism and your, your journey into the priesthood. He, uh, he talked a bit of smack about you when he's on the show, <laughs> Father Nathan. And so you, you have some misconceptions maybe to, to clear up here. But what, what a story he told about, about your family experience and, and, and his own conversion and how your your family history played into that. And then and that, of course, forked and, and he went one way and you went a different way. I know it's going to be a great story. You guys are great storytellers. You're, you're, you're Canadians, so of course you're going to be fun yeah, we're Canadians, yeah, so. yeah, on the show. Therefore. So I do, I do want to kind of get out of the way to begin with. I want to, I, we'll stop a little bit along the way and we'll dig into some of the, the reasons why you became Catholic and, and found your vocation and a little bit about what, what you guys do with the the incredible work that that the cans regular do, I want to begin maybe at the beginning and talk a bit about your your journey to becoming Catholic because you 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 and and your family didn't start off Catholic. You guys have a pretty interesting journey that led to that point, and I'd love to hear your perspective as as the older brother. You know, you know, your, your father father uh, Joshua was the the kid brother. So what 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 does he know? Let's hear it from from the wise and older brother. Where did you, where did it begin? Where did that faith journey for you begin, Father? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, it all started when I was born on August 15th, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary at St. Paul's Hospital in Saskatoon. <laughs> uh, but I did not know it was the Assumption, the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, because I wouldn't know that for 23 years or so. Um, and, uh, but... Yeah, so grew up Pentecostal, uh, went to Faith Alive Christian Academy, went to, uh, started going with a Presbyterian church, then went to uh, Christian Center in Saskatoon, uh, Evangelical. I, you're, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you've been there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah let me, just let me ask you that. Um, totally throw a wrench into this. Um, what was your evangelical like world? Did you have like Kenneth Copeland and and like that that world? Was that your? Yeah, well, I so I didn't grow up uh, Christian. I grew up nominally Christian and kind of was was saved uh, at the age of yeah, fifteen or so. Absolutely, right? yeah, in high school. Yeah. And so uh, okay. we were we were nominally Pentecostal. Our church we called it Baptistcostal because it was Pentecostal in name, but. We only had flags one weekend a year, and only one woman in the church kind of spoke tongues, and there wasn't an interpreter. So when she spoke tongues, it was kind of like, "Oh, there's nobody to interpret, so let's just put her out in the back." So it's you, great. you know, you know this stuff, and, and charismatics listening to the show will will we'll know this, uh, this, sure. this this universe. But that's kind of where we were. So we were, well, and we of had, course, I, and I told I told Father Joshua this. We I definitely had encounters in much more charismatic settings, but the, my main church experience was was. Fairly Baptocostal, we called it. Baptocostal. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So in, in this church, uh, it was, everyone had to speak in tongues. Okay. In, in order to graduate from the school, you had to, <laughs> you know. wow, yeah. I remember I was in grade three and, you know, we were, you taught to pray in tongues and you like learn by saying syllables and 
these, you know, thing. and that was, you know, that was part of my, my going into prayer, uh, learning how to pray. And, wow. uh, I can say that I really did learn how to pray when I was, when I was a child. Um, there's a lot of things that I learned there at the Pentecostal church. Um, that was very, uh, you know, things I left behind things that I, that were not, uh, um, they didn't come with me into my Catholic life, but I learned how to pray and I knew who Jesus was. And I knew, I knew that God was, that God loved me and that he wanted me to uh, serve him. And, you know, you're supposed to do good and avoid evil. So I'm very thankful uh, for that, for those, that experience. So, um, so yeah, Pentecostal church, anyway, um, living in Saskatoon, uh, when I was 15 years old, we moved up to South End Reindeer Lake, um, which is seven hours north of Saskatoon, um, Indian Reservation, um, and uh, it was a it was a tough place. It was a tough place to uh, to be as a 15 year old white kid. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, it was just actually tough for everyone. <laughs> Honestly, it was a it was a rough place, you know. I, and I learned, I, I learned. Uh, uh, I learned how to smoke there and I learned how to, uh, skip school a little bit. And, uh, yeah, anyway, um, not, you know, that was, that was just the, that was the life we, yeah, yeah. we, uh, we were living. Um, my parents were teachers and then they went from teaching there to, um, uh, to starting their own school. And, uh, it was a school and they, I was the first student. All of all of us were, you know, all my brothers and sisters. I was the oldest at home at this point. And um, yeah, so I'm 15 years old, angry teenager. I've been brought. I've been, you know, I left Saskatoon, you know, and thrown into the the wilderness, you know. And uh, my parents, um, you know, my parents brought us there, and we kind of started this whole new life in the in you know in the far north of Saskatchewan. That's remote. I mean, like seven hours Mm -hmm. north. Saskatoon's already pretty remote in in terms of (laughs) what people would picture. Right? And then seven hours north of that is, we're talking quite remote, right? Yeah, there's there's, there's one road that goes up there. And, you know, it's like, it's like northern Ontario or northern Quebec. It's like all those places. You get to a certain point and the the pavement stops and the gravel starts. And there's, you know, there's truckers and there's you know there's the industry right there's the uh the mines the uh different all you know all the different mines and and so the roads are are just are traveled by um by heavy trucks and then they're traveled by you know people going up and uh down to the city from the reservation and it's yeah i don't know it's it's kind of a so there I was. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just thinking about my childhood. But <laughs> um, so I'm a teenager in Brabant Lake, Saskatchewan, right, just south of South End. So we moved up to the Indian Reservation, and then half a year later, we moved, and my parents got a new job in Brabant Lake, and then they started their own school shortly after that. We are. Um, I'm the oldest at home. I'm an angry teenager, 15 years old. You know, I, I grew up in the city. Now I'm in this tiny, tiny little town. And I, my friends are the people who live in these 22 houses. Yeah. And, 
whether they're good friends or bad friends, they're, they're the people I'm hanging out with and the people I'm learning stuff from and the people, you know, both good and bad. Um, and there were both certainly. Um, so from there, I'm 18 years old and I want to get out of, get out of the small town, like so bad. I, I, this is all I wanted for three years, get back to the city get back to, you know, living my life, right? So I'm 18. And uh, in the meantime, during these three years, we went from, uh, went from uh, Pentecostal, my parents are starting to pray the rosary, my parents are starting to uh, decided to go to the Catholic Church. Um, because when my mother had taught up there on the Indian Reservation in the 70s, there was one there was one option that was the Catholic church. And then now there's two churches, the house of prayer and the Catholic church. And suddenly there was a decision to make. And my mother just kind of saw like, well, this isn't not the authentic faith in this community. Right. So there's, that was part of it at least. And uh, I don't remember what father Joshua told you. I remember it was a great, it was a great episode. Um, <laughs> but uh but you know the other things that made my parents Catholic were uh, were the um, uh, pro life movement. You know they're fighting they're fighting for life. Um, I remember. Uh, do you know Joe Shadler? Do, do you know, do you know who no, he is? He's he's so. a, he's real big in this area. He's like the okay. he's like the called the the Godfather of the pro life of pro life activism. Okay. You know he he took a case to the Supreme Court and won. Uh, it was. And anyway, he's so he just passed away this last year. Um, so he was actually with my parents up in Saskatoon in the early '80s, and you know there's all these you know so they were they were part of the pro life movement, and they were, they had all these Catholic friends that were pro life, and so that was their that was their um, a major part of their conversion. Um, besides that, we have. Uh, my mother went to learn French. She was in trois Riviers, um for like six weeks and was learning French. Um, and this uh, pious lady who she was staying with took her to Mass every day, right? And so then uh, my mother's going to Mass every day. She comes back and... And suddenly, my you know my parents are becoming more and more Catholic. They started a, a school called Our Lady of the North School... <laughs> In 1996, a year before they entered into the Catholic Church, yeah, and so and they, you know, they've been they've been running this school, which I was a I was a member. I was the first uh, the first graduate of the school, um, you know, in in this tiny little town, Brabant Lake, you know, and there were quite a number of different families that participated in different ways. So anyway, I'm I'm a teenager, right? in uh, in Brabant Lake and as I'm um, and my parents come Catholic they did, said we're all joining the Catholic Church they uh, we go to um, we, we get conditionally baptized confirmed and I'm I'm in my mind I'm like how how were we Catholic like we were when I was born you know Presbyterian Pentecostal and then and now this, right? I'm like, tomorrow we could be Mormon, yeah, or tomorrow, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, you know, is that how you felt? Was that, cause I, that, that it, was it like a flavor of the month kind of thing? Was it kind of a 
like I mean, yeah. So I mean, I'll chalk most of it up to being like a, a yeah, an angry teenager, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, who's just rebellious, right? Going through the rebellious phase, yeah, and, absolutely. And but I, yeah, I just felt like so. It what was true is now not true. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a different thing, and so and that's you know, if you change laws a lot, uh, the laws soon has no meaning. Yeah. Um. So that was anyway. So that was my my argument anyway. yeah, yeah your perspective yeah yeah but i was uh obedient enough that i received the sacraments and that was really a saving grace that i i actually did enter in the church it would have been so much more difficult to get into be where i am if i had not gone yeah. through with that yeah. you know like the the interior work i had to do in my heart or god had to do in my heart Later, it started with me receiving the sacraments, and I don't I don't remember my first baptism in, in the Pentecostal Church, but my sister claims it was it was probably not in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that conditional baptism on May twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven, was the day I was baptized, and um, and that, and then confirmed, and then you know. And yeah, Catholic, except for still being an angry teenager, right? <laughs> and on that note, I was just thinking. I so I've I've been doing like these uh, marriage, uh, preparing people for marriage, right? I've had like twenty um, or so in the last uh, couple years. People preparing for marriage. No one knows their baptismal date. You know, I you know it's something that I I've. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I had an exceptional circumstance. That's why I remember it because it was the Easter vigil. But uh, we should really know our baptismal date more than anything. You know, when we're born into this life, we're born into death. When we're born into, when in baptism, we're born into eternal life. Like that's, that's when, that's the day we should celebrate. We should have cake every baptismal day. So. Oh, you heard it here first. Okay. I'm going to make sure that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you know your baptismal date? I don't actually. I was baptized. I, of course, I was, I ba- I was baptized uh, uh, Pentecostal, of course, right? But I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember the date. And my funny enough, my wife, who's also a convert, was being received into the Catholic Church and a bit of a procrastinator. So on like the night before um, the Easter vigil, the priest, the pastor was like, you know what? We really need your baptismal certificate from your, from <laughs> you, from your Baptist church. I know so, that scene so yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So she had to, of course, get her parents to dig around in the boxes in the basement to find it for her. But yeah, that's a very good point, right? And that's we should um, we should celebrate those graces, like, like you know, remember those graces we got in that baptism because that's an important thing to remind ourselves of, right? So. Your your trajectory it wasn't you weren't straight into the priesthood from uh, from that moment. No, I, I no, like I Father did. Joshua, you know, Father Joshua is the good kid. You know, he <laughs> he sometimes he'll try to like say that like, oh, I had my bad days and whatever. He was he was like the good kid. He did everything he was supposed to do. I'm sure you know everyone has a little rebellion in them, but yeah, yeah. I like that your your smack talk is to essentially just compliment him like like when you're really you're really talking smack but it's like a compliment that's very canadian of you yeah well i mean yeah it's it's just true it's true <laughs> one thing i'll if, if you want me to say something bad about father joshua here it goes he's a good storyteller <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> he's, he doesn't lie but he's a good storyteller <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I see what you're saying there. So anyway, yeah. So Father Joshua is like, so he's younger, right? When we come into the church, he was, uh, I was, what did I say, 17. So he was 13 when he became Catholic. So at that age, it's just a lot easier, sure, right, to yeah, take on yeah. to take on the Catholic life, and you don't have to work through all the things that you've that you've developed um, in those formative years. So um, anyway, so I'm 18, right? I'll skip I'll skip to when I'm 18. I leave home. I'm not practicing the faith. I went to church every Sunday with my parents because they made me, you know. Um, but then I go out on my own and I'm looking for the truth. You know, I'm looking for uh, for what is true. And, I, and I've always I've always cared about what is true because, and, and I know I got this from my parents because my parents are no matter what, it was always, um, it was always um, pursuit of the truth no matter what the cost, you know. And, um, yeah, and it was painful. You know, sometimes it's really painful to search for the truth. Um, but for me, uh, I started hitchhiking across Western Canada. You know, I, I went south, got a job in Saskatoon, went back to the city that I dreamed of returning to, and there I was with my older brother living in an apartment. Um, and I had you know, every kind of job, you know, Kelly Services. I don't know if you know Kelly Services. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. worked there, so that like, agency, liter- yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally every day I had a different job. Like I was weeding weeding canola fields by hand because um, they were testing out some chemicals. Who knows what? And <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and uh, then I would be like holding up these incredibly expensive rugs uh, at this auction, and just like crazy stuff every day, building a frames for houses. Anyway. A lot of jobs. So my my big thing was I, I move across Western Canada. I started uh, I started tree planting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I did that for a couple of years, um, and uh, lived the tree planting life in the woods, and uh, you know made some money. And like so many people, you know, started moving across Western Canada. I went to Alberta, worked in Banff for a year. You know, uh, Jasper, sorry. Uh, and uh, ended up on the West Coast, you know, this uh, uh, one year. And it was there that I had my first real interior conversion. And that was looking at the ocean for the first time. You know, a guy from Saskatchewan, you know. I've never seen the ocean. I've been landlocked my whole life. And to get there and to, I was on, uh, I was Tofino on uh, Vancouver Island, Right. And there's a long beach there and you're not supposed to camp, but I camped there for three nights in the woods <laughs> and, um, and just like be there at the ocean and see this like massive, I don't know, you know, surging water and, and the, the difference between the land and the ocean and that whole, like, it's like, it sounds crazy, but it's like this powerful place, you know, yeah. like the ocean is always crashing, always crashing. And, and I just felt so small, you know, and there's, it was just awe inspiring. And I think there's something so good about, well, the thing about awe is, is it draws you out of yourself, you know? So when you're, when you're angry, right, you're, you're bitter, you're, there's something that's not, your heart is not where it should be. You, you close in on yourself and you need those moments of awe to bring you out of yourself so you can see, so 
so you can live again. It's like you need that 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 your lungs to open, you know, so you can breathe again. And uh, so that w- moment was really important for me, um, being at the ocean. Um, the next year, I I did tree planting again, and uh, ended up uh, picking chanterelle mushrooms on the Queen Charlotte Islands. Right, so I'm living in this uh, little tree house. It's like a platform on right by Lake Skidigat uh, on the Queen Charlotte Islands, and uh, just picking chanterelle mushrooms. You know, four or five hours a day. You know, making a ton of money under the table. You know, just like <laughs> living the living the life. You know, and meeting all kinds of people. You know, who are escaping society for one reason yeah. or another, yeah. and. Um, yeah. So then, but it was there at that moment that I had this moment of here I am. I've been searching for freedom, right? I've been like traveling across Western Canada, hitchhiking by myself, you know, living. I have this bivy bag. I don't know if you know what a bivy bag is, a, um, like a Gore-Tex shell over a sleeping bag. Yeah. And that was my tent. I lived in that, you know, and I could like sleep in any dish and, you know, and the, any side road in Alberta, <laughs> you know, like it went through Drumheller and like, it was awesome, you know, but after all that trying to get somewhere, you know, trying to get to freedom, trying to get to what the truth was, um, the truth was to follow. But first the, what I recognized in, in the night on, on the Queen Charlotte islands, was here I was in this, in the wilderness. I had been as far as I possibly could be, um, you know, off the West Coast, away from family and friends. And I had found freedom, and it was empty. Yeah. You know, like, I, I was, it was, I found freedom, but it was for what? You know, I didn't have, no one knew where I was. I could have died, and... They would have eventually found out, I suppose. But it was, you know, I realized I had alienated myself in search of freedom. So oh, at this time, so there's a moment of real fear because I, I, rem- I just remember like the terrors of night. You know, when you're in a dark woods by yourself, every little sound, every like every drop of water on a on a leaf, you know, just it means you're like, what is that? What is that? You know? So I remember at that moment, I, I started praying, and I I was uh, I didn't want to acknowledge God. I didn't want to say, you know, God, you know, help me. I'm scared or anything because I had left God behind. You know, I was very I was too smart for that. I was I was enlightened with all my tree planter friends and uh, all these, you know, everyone who's just going down the slide of of immorality as fast as I can, you know? Um, so I left God behind, but I, I saw it, I thought, as a love, right? Love has to be this force in the universe, right? And it's, this is like at this point where I, Father Josh always calls me a hippie. I don't know. I can't remember if he did on the show, but he, he you know, uh, I somewhat reject that or resent that. But anyway, um, it's probably, it's probably true, you know, cause I loved nature and I saw truth in nature. I saw, and it's where I found God in nature, 
because I saw in nature this this movement of I remember looking at birds uh, building their nests. I was like, what are they doing? Like, how how is it that they do this complicated thing for the sake of their young? You know, I'm more selfish than they are. You know, they there's this giving that's in them. Uh, there's love in the world. So that was my that was my you know another major part of my conversion was just to realize okay there's something that gives in nature. And so in this moment of fear I prayed you know love give me understanding give me wisdom and it was really a totally holy spirit inspired prayer like as I look back and give me you know give me all these things these these true virtues that I need you know and that was a moment. That was a great you know, moment of conversion. I'd say that was like one of the, you know, one of the building blocks where God was working in my heart to turn my heart toward him from being this pagan in the woods, even though I was baptized and received confirmation, all that. I, my heart was so far from him and so selfish. And he was, he was showing it to me how, how my heart was not, not yet his, but anyway, he was opening it up. Yeah. So then, so this cool thing happened, right? So I met I met a friend's house in Sandspit on the Queen Charlotte Islands, and it's I'm there for the weekend. I for, during the week I live in the uh, this in the treehouse. I live in the woods, and I absolutely love in love with the woods out there. Like it's so beautiful. The moss you can walk. I used to walk barefoot all day through the. It was like a green carpet everywhere under these huge trees. And every kind of crazy mushroom, like that you would ever imagine, like just the the like the creation out there is just mind blowing. So anyway, go into the town on the weekends, and I'm at this house, uh, house of a friend. I'm there by myself. Phone rings. I pick it up, and it's my mom. And my mom didn't know. She didn't know where I was. She didn't know my friend. She didn't know my friend's friend, you know, so I don't know how she got to that number and how she got to call me. But this was this moment where I had been running from my parents and everything that they were doing, everything they believed in. Right. You know, obviously the Catholic missionaries, they want me to become Catholic. Um, they want me to live the Catholic life, you know? And uh, anyway, so she calls me and it was at this moment she said, um, she said, Nathan, will you come home? And uh, for me, that it was such a profound thing because my mother always told me what to do. You know, my parents, always, you know, they, when you're a child, they tell you what to do. But here for the first time, she, she asked me if I would come home. And, and uh, I had been intending to go down to California and continue like you know i'm sure if i had if i continue that way i i don't think i would be alive you know i'd probably be on east Hastings street in, in vancouver you know on heroin or something you know like I, I that's where i was going those are the people i was yeah. you know like i was that was where i was sliding down toward you know and uh um so my mom i mean i don't know but god only knows but that reverence for my freedom 
And I think this is really important for, for parents. You know, there's so many uh, Catholic moms and dads who want their children to become, to practice the faith and live in the faith uh, that they were brought up in. And they're, they're asking and they're, they, you know, they they always, you know, ask for prayers and they're, it's like the thing that breaks their heart every day is that their child is not practicing the faith. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of time, I think often they haven't reverenced the freedom of their child to say, say, um, what do you want? What is your heart desire? You know, and I think you get into a habit raising a child to tell them what to do, tell them what to do, but to grow with them and grow with the way that they uh, that they see the world and they're, they're growing freedom. They're growing interiority. I think it's, I think, anyway, I think that's really important. Um, but anyway, my mother, I'm not accusing her of anything before that, but that was the moment where I felt maybe it was the first time I recognized it, that my mother reverenced my freedom, you know, and I, I'm sure I could point to other times if I, if I remember. Um, but, yeah, so I went home. I, I, I cut the train back to Saskatoon, and uh, which is awesome. If you've never been on the Via Rail across Canada, I highly recommend it. Uh, so, so great going through Jasper, the mountains. Hitchhiked up north, walk into the door, and my mom says, uh, well, we've killed the fatted calf, you know. And I was just groaning so bad. <laughs> like, you're like, okay, I get it. I'm prodigal son. I'm returning. But I was like, my intention was just to go there for two weeks, you know, and say, make things right with my parents, you know, and, you know, it just kind of have a, a dialogue or what have you. It's two weeks. I'm asking questions. I'm, I'm, uh, they're answering my questions. It was my mom and my dad and my sister, Naomi. And, um, I get to this, the end of these two weeks and I, my, like all the answers are, are coming in and the Catholic faith is beginning to take shape. And it's like, this really makes sense. Like all of, like the, all of this theology, it's very systematic. You know, it's yeah. like, there's a system like, so it's, either, I got to the point, it's like, this either has to be all true or all false, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like there's someone this is a either a cleverly concocted myth or this is true. And, um, so I went to, I went to this, uh, youth retreat. My parents always take kids, uh, to these retreats, the face-to-face retreats with Ken Yazinski. I don't know if you know him. He's from uh, Saskatoon, still doing his thing. Uh, he's a Catholic speaker. He's, I know he goes at least around North America. Um, really good. Like this guy and his family, I think he has a brother, Chris, who's a priest. Um, but they're like, you know, they're, I don't know. He was just like brought all these Catholic homeschoolers in Saskatchewan together and, and had like praising worship music, which I hated, you know, and, but he, and, but a lot of them liked it. You know, a lot of people liked it. It was just like a high energy kind of Steubenville conferences, People know that, um, but he and then he had adoration, you know. And it was there that I saw Christ in the monstrance for the first time. 
um, I mean, I saw the monsters, I saw the host, but it was the first time I was presented with this challenge that this is God in the host, you know? And I was in the back, you know, like, okay, whatever, you know, the music it goes from like hype, you know, super hype just to like a little more chill. And we're just going to slow things down. We're just going to sing this, like this round, we're gonna, <laughs> you know, and then that kind of vibe. And then I'm, I'm uh, in the back and God is really impressed in my heart saying, you know, like, you know, I, I'm being challenged and I don't know what to do, you know, and I, I'm saying, God, you know, are you there or are you not there? They say that you are God, but I'm not going to live my life with you. I'm not going to live my life deciding that you are in the Eucharist. Like, it's not my, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, it has to come from somewhere else besides me. So then I did this thing. Um, I was just, I was just called to, I was called to, I, I just had on my heart to say, you know, God, if you were there, will you have my sister come sit beside me? And, you know, that's not, that's not the way to find out about God. This is not, this is not the usual thing. It's not what you recommend. Um, you know, a lot of people have done things like this to, you know, ill effect, you know, but I was speaking to God from my heart and, um, you know, it wasn't superstitious in any way. It was just my heart, like calling out for God. And the moment I said that my sister got up and walked over and sat down beside me and I had talked to God and he spoke to me in my language, you know, and it was awesome. So it like, so Naomi's sitting next to me and, and I said, Naomi, God loves us, but it would took me, it was so difficult to say that. And like, I might, it was stuck in my throat to say that, God loves us. And it was, I realized later looking back on this, like that was the moment of conversion. Yeah. When I could say God loves us. It wasn't that she came over and walked down. Like that could, that could be complete coincidence, you know? Um, I don't think it was, but I, it could be. But what can't be a coincidence is that I felt compelled to say God loves us. And then and I then I just broke down crying because then my pride, like my pride broke, and my heart was just like kind of exposed before God. Yeah. And that was so that was the moment of my conversion. That was like where my heart caught up with uh, whatever intellectual you know schema I had of the <laughs> uh, of the church and the sacramental reality that was already present in my soul, you know, and. Um, so I'm there uh, for a couple of years, you know, at um, there, meaning I went back home with my parents uh, for a couple of years and I helped build a little chapel in the woods there. They had a, a two room cabin I cut down the wall and, you know, just, you know, did some, uh, put some cedar, you know, panel, you know, not panel boards, but cedar paneling, cedar paneling. And uh, just like like 
you know, I was like suddenly super devout <laughs> is my point. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like trying to build this chapel. Yeah. I'm watching EWTN. Like I can't even believe how much EWTN I watched. Like it was the only thing <laughs> that mattered. And I was, I remember I was watching father Karapi in those days. And I was watching, uh, I was watching just everything. And I was just soaking it in. And it was incredible. Um, so that's where that's, you know, and that's what I, so I just started like kind of eating up the theology and whatever. So at this time, Father Joshua, right, he's, he's already at St. John Cantus in the city, uh, in Chicago, um, to be clear, what city. And, um, and so he, I went, was it 2004 in October, I went to go visit and, um, I didn't know. I was looking at all kinds of places online um, to go visit, you know, religious life. Cause I thought, you know, God has given me my life back. Like I, I believe I would be dead, but because of God, I'm actually, I'm actually alive and I owe him my life oh, wow. and, and I need to. So, and if God's calling me to be a priest, that's where I need to start. And if he's not, then I'll do whatever, you know, uh, like I'm, I'm not, I don't, uh, I don't, I never thought that I was worthy to be a priest <laughs> you know? um, and no one is, um, but God is amazing how God chooses the lowly um, because, you know, because he just does, that's what he does to shame. I mean, I know it's to shame the proud, but. Now I'm the proud, and, and now, I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that two years later, I, I go down to St. John Cantus, and I saw this the most incredible church. It's so beautiful, the gold everywhere and Baroque and like the barrel vaulting and everything's just absolutely mind blowing. And there's no church like this in Saskatchewan. Um. There's no church like this in Manitoba or maybe even Ontario. I don't know. I, there's there's some nice churches in Ontario um, that I've been in. Um, but this is incredible. So anyway, my point is this, that it was really hard to take this much beauty. I was really challenged by this. And I, and I thought, how can... How can this? How can um, this much beauty exist and there still be evil in the world? Like, right? And, and it seems crazy now because I know the answer to this. But I was like, like, shouldn't shouldn't this be given to the poor? You know, like all of this beautiful stuff is like it's like a palace, right? But there are people who are starving out there. There are people who are hungry, and there are people who are just like. And, and in need and we're supposed to be there for them. Right. And that really challenged me. And, and um, another time later I was, um, I was in, in Rome and I went to St. Peter's Basilica and I saw, you know, it's, you know, even 
more like more beautiful than St. John Cantus. St. <laughs> Peter's Basilica. Yeah, a little bit. You, you're, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Your mind cannot comprehend just the beauty in every square inch. It's just like, and then there's, but there's the poor outside, you know? And like, how do you, how do you reconcile that? So this is how I reconciled it. That beauty is for the poor, right? That, that beauty belongs to the poor. The church is built, St. John Cantus in downtown Chicago, uh, every beautiful church in, in, wherever is is built for the poor that they can have some beauty of their own that is their that's their home right and then there's the whole thing about um there very often when people say that uh, you know how can uh, how can you know shouldn't this be given to the poor it, it's the intentions of judas you know, which I learned, you know, not to say that everyone has that intention, but some people do. That there's a, a sort of, there's a, a Pelagian, you know, um, there's a man, there's a man's going to fix this problem, you know, sort of mentality where this beauty is given to glorify God and God himself works in the hearts of every person. And so the the, um, the the alabaster jar of ointment, a year's wages, is poured out on Christ's feet. Like those feet are, those feet are, are are going to be pierced. Those feet are, they represent the feet of of every person. But it it's uh, so whatever we do to make churches beautiful is to give glory to God. And that, and to edify the faithful, that's the the ends of the mass, right? Uh, to glorify God and to edify the faithful. Also, music participates in the ends of the mass, which is to glorify God and edify the faithful. So it's not glorifying God or edifying the faithful. Something's wrong. Just a side note, on music, but very much related. So anyway, that, so that I, I say that because that was a really ma- a major part of my conversion too. Uh, is to wrestle with the with the fact of beauty, you know, and to have my heart opened even further by beauty, which doesn't have a utilitarian end. Beauty, which is um, which heals the heart, and and beauty, which draws us upward, uh, to give us a place uh, where we can contemplate um, by God's grace, we can contemplate God. So, so what was the question? <laughs> Wonder where you went from there. So you joined the order at some point. Was it? I know Father Joshua told the story of him going to Chicago and just not coming back. He had two way ticket that he only used one <laughs> right. one way of right. Didn't come back. Did you get stuck there too, or did you go back and and do some more discerning? Yeah. So I, yeah, they learned after Father Joshua not to do that anymore. <laughs> Everyone had to have a return trip. Um, and then just, I mean, the reason was, uh, you have to, you, you visit and then you come back and then you discern from, you discern from afar. And there's a, there's a kind of a, uh, as we've, as we've grown, we've learned the process of, you know, for people to discern in freedom, yeah. right? 
because it's easy. Like you can imagine how, um, not to say, you know, well, that's the whole point is that it's not a cult, right? <laughs> is it to you to go somewhere and then you never, you never see out the outside of the walls again. And then your mind is like, suddenly you're thinking like them, you're doing everything like them, right? So we're very careful. The church is always very careful to um, let people you know, you have to discern in freedom and there's so many steps to get into religious life. Uh, and so that you discern properly in freedom. So father Josh was the exception. (laughs) Yeah. So I left. Yeah. So I left, I was in, that was October, 2004. And, uh, I joined uh, in 2005. It was a class of four that year and, uh, began a two year novitiate, uh, learned to learn to pray the liturgy of the hours, um, to sing it in common every day, uh, to serve the masses, both the ordinary form and the extraordinary form, which until that point I had no experience in. Um, but I, I grew to love both of them and see them both as, as, uh, uh, you know, as the mass, as as Christ's sacrifice, you know, offered. Uh, for for me and for everyone. So, um, and uh, yeah, two years no vision. And then after that, seven years uh, at Cro- Holy Apostles in Cromwell, Connecticut. Yeah. So um, just really living the liturgical life was kind of the greatest formation. And this is the most underrated thing in the church um, is the liturgical year. Is that there is a whole Throughout the whole cycle of the year, there are feast days and fast days, and there are different things to focus on. And there's like a whole journey and a pilgrimage through every single year. And it forms you, and it teaches you to fast. It teaches you to feast. It teaches, like, it's the perfect balance that's been, and this liturgical year has been, you know, the fruit of the church over 2,000 years. It's not, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible richness um, that, you know, yeah. But it should affect your life, right? Yeah. yeah. That the liturgical year should change how you eat dinner. You know, it should change, <laughs> it should change, uh, like, like whether you have a nap that day, <laughs> for example, uh, you know, obviously you a nap is needed, but uh, as in uh, in the novitiate, we'd always joke about like we'd have a we have a low nap, right? Like low mass, and then you have like a high nap, and then you have a solemn high nap, you know, for like on a solemnity, <laughs> you know, and different like gradations of everything. Yeah, but that really so that really formed me in my faith and how I lived out uh, my life, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, so there I am, um, seminary, go to seminary and come back to 2014. Um, I ordained a priest with Father Joshua and Father Kevin Mann. Um, the two of us finally, after years of battling, um, we were ordained at exactly the same moment. (laughs) And, uh. And we achieved an equilibrium, which has since been shattered uh, because he's the superior general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but there was a balance there for a bit. 
There was. Yeah. No, there still is. You know, now <laughs> it, it's been one of the beautiful things about religious life with my brother is to see how our relationship went from earthly fraternity, earthly brotherhood, you know, of always competing, always, you know, uh, just trying to get ahead of each other to, to real fraternity, real charity. And I can say our relationship is, I, I, it is such a great gift. Um, you know, there's, I don't feel like there's any envy in our relationship. You know, he, as a superior general, he's awesome. You know, I think he's, you know, it's a really tough job to have, you know, to be, you know, he's the one who has to go to all these like high up meetings and he has to look out for the good of this community that he's been entrusted with. I I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, I can imagine, but I don't want to, (laughs) I don't don't want to be there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, but he, he does it with such grace and, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm honestly really proud of my brother. And uh, he, you know, I mean, we, we joke around uh, a lot, but, um, but it's, it's wonderful, you know, to have a, my little brother is my superior. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's very good. That's certainly a unique situation. Tell me, tell me a, a bit about, the the liturgy because you must have a passion for the liturgy that your order has a passion for the liturgy. I I want to know and you mentioned liturgical year and how that how that forms a person and I'm I'm with you there. I mean this is being recorded on the, on my feast day right as we speak. Oh really? Which is I think yeah the the feast of Saint Albert the Great which I think is just oh my gosh sorry fantastic. yeah I should have figured that out yeah fantastic yeah. oh great but, happy feast day well, thank you and so, so yeah. I I see this as an important an important thing to the liturgical year, right? But then the liturgy, in a smaller sense, in the mass, in 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 that sense, I mean, how does that how does that form a person? Like, talk about that for a second, because I know you have a passion for that. Yes. I mean. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, you know, I, if we don't have so, it, first let me, let me look at like the week, right? Um, if you have the week as people who don't observe Sunday, who don't, you know who don't go to mass and don't, or don't in some way keep the, the Lord's day. Um, life becomes working every day, right? And you become a slave. You become, you become just a tool of, you become a cog in the machine, you know, you're just, but when you have a day that is set aside to not work and to be above it sets you above that utilitarian way of life. Um, this day is not for any usefulness. This day is to worship God who has given you everything, right? And then we claim on Sunday our sonship as, you know, our sonship, uh, sons and daughters of God, right? And we enter into the Mass. And even if it's like, if it's Mass that it's not, you know, perfectly celebrated, you know, this is, you know, it's, if it's the mass, if it's valid mass, you know, um, and especially if it's licit, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great. You know, God, God will use that and give us the grace to, to see that we're not just, we're not just of this earth. So first of all, just attending mass, like getting to church raises us up 
to something so much greater. And I think I looked at my parents, the greatest thing they did was to always keep Sunday, no matter what. There was never a Sunday when we were, you know, Presbyterian or Pentecostal or somewhere in between. There was never a Sunday where we didn't, it wasn't obvious that this was the Lord's day. And that, that was very formative. I think, um, um, in the, so when we get to the Mass itself, right? So just the participation in the Mass. First of all, we acknowledge our sins at the beginning of Mass, right? Uh, we come before our Lord, um, and ideally, if, we're, if we've committed any sins, that we confess our sins, right? And we receive absolution. I and mean, there's no more formative thing than that. A recent uh, recent poll, was it a pillar? I don't know if you know the pillar. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so they just, like last week, they had these this, uh, different surveys, they said. But, you know, that 50%, 50% of mass, weekly mass attendees went, uh, go to communion, uh, no, 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 go, go to confession, which I thought was really high, you know, because they don't see that. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful if that's true in some regard, but I would be more thankful if it if a hundred percent of yeah. people who went to mass went to confession, because we we in this world, I, I mean, unless you're in, I don't, you know, if you have a, a life of contemplation, there's sin in your life. Like if unless you are, unless you are immersed in scripture and you're you're asking God for the grace every day, there's there's sins that's, that that are they're stuck there and maybe you don't know about them. Uh, I'm I'm really judging you right now. <laughs> no, I'm just, not you. I, no, I'm talking just, directly <laughs> to me. <laughs> I'm talking directly to the to the listener. <laughs> no, no, I I just mean like it's just the, it's just it's just the case. Anyway, yeah. that's my experience, and I think it probably people will find it's their experience too. So, um, confession is important. Uh, I guess is what I what I was saying. We have to. Um, prepare. So anyway, if you, besides confession, the beginning of the Mass, the acknowledgement of my sin, I come to the Mass not worthy, right? Not worthy to receive, not worthy to be there, um, but God makes me worthy. And so that that conf- that confidior, the, um, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, and then to be to be brought into communion. Like right? nothing brings us into communion like acknowledging that we've screwed up. Yeah. You know, like you know, like, hey guys, I did this. That's a moment everyone's like, yeah, you did, or whatever, you know. But it's like a moment of of being together with people and on the same page again after after whatever distanced you. So being brought into community is incredible, and then to be from that place hearing sacred scripture and it's so uh how beautiful you know that we can do that uh hear the words of god uh in our life you know i mean that this like the richness there is can't even be uh can't be explained fully but um yeah to hear the words of the gospel and then uh, and then to have, have it explained, right? And I, I always love, uh, what was her name? 
author from the South, um, Flannery O'Connor. She said she never heard a homily that she didn't couldn't get something out of, right? And she was really smart. She read the Summa every night before bed. Like she was, and she was a writer. So she's like, she thought things through. She, she lived, um, she, you know, she lived um, the life of grace. And, 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 but she said she never, you know, I'm sure she heard a lot of bad homilies in her day. <laughs> so all of this is to say that no one has an excuse uh, to check. If there's, I mean, there's got to be something in the homily. Maybe just it's marveling at the fact that God still uh, preserves the church in unity, despite the fact that homilies are so bad. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, at least that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I know. Uh, I don't know anything. That's what I know. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I'm going through the master. So, then our offering, right? So our whole, our whole week, I mean, our whole life has a source and summit in the Eucharist, right? That's, that's where we get our strength. We, and we have to worship God first. And then in that, once we've given God his due, then we are in a place to serve our brothers and sisters um, in whatever way God has called us. Um, in a state of grace, laying up merit for heaven, you know, laying up treasure for heaven um, because it, and it's a treasure that comes from God, comes from he- the heavenly throne through our life, through our actions that we were made some particip- participants in this. And then we return, we return it to God. And so coming to the altar every Sunday, at least is to say, is to bring all of our work everything we've done, um, all the good that we've done to offer it up at the offertory. You know, as the priest is offering the bread and wine, these, the work of human hands, right? We're offering up, uh, you know, this is where we offer our money, the, the work of human hands. And this work um, is lifted up and elevated by grace to be a sacrifice pleasing to God because of Christ. So no matter what our job is during the week, whether it's, you know, whether it's a mother at home or a mother working or a father working, you know, uh, in a mine or in, you know, in an office, the work that we do is, is laid at the foot of the altar and Christ brings it up and offers it to the Father and makes that meritorious for us, right? And takes our, like, our our money, our whatever, our the things that we give him, he makes it meritorious. He he becomes, uh, uses it as as an instrument to give us grace. I mean that's yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. <laughs> but um, so and then and then just his presence, you know his presence in the mass um, that he makes himself present in the very, the work of human hands say, I will use this thing that you can see so that you know that I'm here and then you will receive it. Like I'll make this an instrument of, of my communion with you. And, um, 
yeah. So then we get to participate. We're the beneficiaries. What we gave him is human stuff. He gives us divinity, which is like that in the, in the water and wine, you know, there's a, the chalice full of wine and the priest puts one drop of water yeah, yeah. and, um, and it's the, the mixing of, it's funny how I cannot remember this if I'm not at the altar. <laughs> I can't, I was trying to think of the prayer, but by the, uh, mingling this water and wine, may we, may we come to share in the divinity of yeah, Christ yeah. who humbled himself to share in our humanity so that one little drop is just like us being dissolved in, in, in the wine, which is in divinity. And then, of course, that's elevated to become the blood of Christ. Going back to like me by the ocean, when I see that, it was like how that was, I was the drop of water. Yeah. You know, I was how small I was before the ocean. And I realized God's greatness, God's, his bigness, you know? And yeah, so yeah. And then, and then to receive him and, and to, and then to be, to be, I think in the last two years, something that's a need that so many people um, have that has kind of have come to the forefront is the need for hope, right? The need for hope, the need for, like, we experience a lack of motivation. Uh, we're locked inside for, for months at a time and whatever, you know, whatever circumstances have been. But so many people have had a lack of motivation and a lack of hope. And it's not like, I know that there's a heaven and I know that there's a God. And, but the hope that is like lives in our, in our soul and it lives in our heart, like buoys us up so that we're like, we have an inner joy, right? And if we don't have the inner joy, um, it's just life is so, so difficult. And, and so many people are there. So many people are are at the point of saying, like, okay, what? Why live? Because I don't exp- I don't know why I'm living. Um, and you know that's part of the, the the tragedy of the last two years for sure. Um, but it's also been the reason why a lot of people have have been reaching out for God. Yeah. Um, we've had a huge increase in RCA last year. This year, I think we, we had. 18 last year and we uh who came into the church uh i think we have 10 uh, right now who are going through rca and so many people who are uh, maybe fallen away catholics who are just like a lot of 30 40 50 year confessions yeah, yeah you know it's been a long time and and now i want to get things make things right anyway so the mass you know um but the mass often <sighs> The, the mass has been is is often celebrated like like a joke. Honestly, you know, like there's there's a lot of times people are struggling. Uh, I hear this all the time. I mean, literally every week, people come to me and say, "I was I was at this parish and that parish, and and I just couldn't take it anymore." You know, they they didn't had had no reverence for the Eucharist. They had no reverence for God, and my family just decided we can't go there anymore. And you know, it honestly makes me angry that that's the case, because this is 
God has given us his very self, you know, and people treat it like it's this joke, you know, like, like, uh, you know, you got to start the homily with a joke, you know, you got to start, you know, you got to, you got to make sure everyone is like entertained and, and like, why? We're, the Catholic church is a terrible, uh, is a terrible entertainer. Well, I, I'll take that back. Catholic priests are terrible entertainers. <laughs> the Catholic church is actually probably the best, you know, has in its patrimony the greatest uh, ability to grab our heart and to bring it somewhere, you know. But Father so-and-so, and, you know, and I, me too, I'm not, I hate that, I, I hate that, um, I hate that people have to suffer real spiritual abuse in, in their parishes. And, and the effect of that is parishes are emptying out and people aren't coming back after COVID. I'm not sure where you are right now in the whole back and forth of, you know, in and out, but there's like, you know, so many places are, are closing in a way that Chicago, we're, we're closing so many churches uh, other dioceses are closing. And I'm not, you know, this is not just like a pity party. This is like, this is a reality. This is the effect of not taking the mass seriously. Yeah. Of not taking Christ seriously and not living by faith. Right. Because it's, I, I, I really believe that there's so many people in the church who don't believe in God, like priests and bishops. I probably shouldn't say this. You can edit it out if you want or something. I don't know. But, but really, like there are, there, there, there's people, I say, there's no way that they can believe, they believe in, in supernatural grace. And I think this is why we see a huge movement to the, to the Protestant, Protestant sects, uh, in South America, especially. Um, people are leaving the Catholic Church because it's become, went for they're leaving superstition behind and they're going to a place where people believe in God and God working, you know, and a Christian center uh, in Saskatoon where I grew up, it's now called something else, but they uh, so many, I realized later so many people there were Catholics who left the church to go to this place where they believed in God, they believed in scripture, they believed in, you know, um, they believe that God can work. They believed in grace. And that's, uh, Catholics need to really get on board or we're going to die. And I don't mean the church is going to die because obviously it's not. But I mean, all those, the branch will wither and, and it'll be, it'll wither off and die. That's what Christ said. And that means that means Catholic churches. That means Catholic parishes. That means dioceses, uh, dioceses. Um, if we don't believe in God and live by His Word and treat the Eucharist with reverence, the sacrament that He established, um, if we take it lightly, lightly, He will take that treasure and give it to someone else. I don't know why or how I got on this, but. Uh, <laughs> I well, I, I mean, I take your point. I, one of the saddest, the saddest stories for me was visiting, uh, visiting a church out of town one Sunday morning, and it was there were baptisms happening, um, several families, I think three or four families, and and the priest got up there and made some jokes about it, 
and kind of said, well, I have to say this stuff. This is in the, in the, in the, um, the rubrics. But what I really mean is like, you know, it's not that important and I'm going to sprinkle some water on you and, you know, live a good life, blah, blah, blah. And then he went and he prayed the, the prayers. And I thought, as a convert especially, I thought, <laughs> my goodness, like, I, <laughs> I joined the faith because I loved the depth and beauty and tradition of, mm-hmm. of what these sacraments meant, yeah. like baptism, right? So mm-hmm. f- for these, these families, for these kids, and there were a couple of kids who were older being baptized with these families, to have this be their introduction to the faith, well, we'll do this, it's just kind of a, a thing, it doesn't really matter what I say, to that be the introduction, I thought, this is a crime against, <laughs> this is a crime against liturgy, this is a crime against right. the church. I mean, this is, yeah. this is not how so, we want to bring people into the church in this very first so, right. Yeah, right? Imagine, imagine you're in charge of someone's relationship with Christ, and you screw it up like that, like... I hate to be that guy. Yeah. And maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe, I'm sure yeah, I, in yeah. some ways, you know, I'm, I'm perfect. I, I, uh, I would like to think that everyone who meets me sees Christ perfectly through my hands, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, how many millions have died for the faith? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's how serious the faith is. That they're going to stand up and say, they say, I will not drop these three pieces of incense in front of the God. Kill me instead. And this same faith who's like, good morning, everyone. You know, like, here's a funny joke, you know, and, <laughs> and then let's all, you know, whatever, you know, not that there's not this time for rejoicing and happiness. Uh, that's not my, that's not the point. Anyway. Faith needs to be taken seriously. So. Yeah, I think so. one of the things that, that that you guys do that you're serious about, right? I always, I always point people towards, if I want to talk about liturgy, and I have on this show a number of times, I point people towards you guys and, and the churches that you guys are, are are working in because I think your order and, and the formation you guys receive and, and the, the charism you guys, I think, are, are promoting is is doing liturgy well and doing the mass well and showing people how that should look like to reverently do the mass with, with joy and with, you know, an, an attitude towards look what the treasures the church has. I, th- I think that's kind of amazing. Your, your brother, Father Joshua said something that stuck with me ever since that the idea that, you know, the mass really is, is the height of charismatic Christianity. Right? What could be yeah. more charismatic than Christ mm-hmm. coming down, you know, amongst us, quite, quite literally, and and dwelling right. and us consuming Him? Right? We always we we yeah. sing in those songs like, "Lord, I want more of You." Lord, come, like Lord, be here. Well, He's here. <laughs> he's here in the Catholic right. Church, right? In in the Mass. But like you say, we we don't see that so often because the Mass is not done very well. Our liturgy is is not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So, so he, so that that's obscured. Right, but what could be more charismatic than rightly understanding? I can think of my first, my very first experience of, of Eucharistic adoration, like you mentioned yours, you know, before. Was I, I? I walk in and just the sense in that in that the church was palpable. I felt something when I looked down the the aisle and saw Christ there in the monstrance. I thought, like that, just struck me. Right, there's something holy in that space, and that's the kind of charismatic relationship that the, the Catholic Church offers to us. 
right? right. If we don't obscure right. that with jokes or or holy water filled water guns, right? Or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. You know, the, honestly, that's a, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that really, that conversation you had with Father Joshua is, I've been thinking about that ever since. I, I listened to that a couple months ago now, or whenever we started uh, um, emailing back and forth. But that's the, the idea of, you know, we actually have Christ uh, coming to us and, and this is what everyone's always wanted. This is what all the denominations want is for Christ to be part of, to be there in their pre- in the presence. Um, and then also, I th- think he was there. He mentioned about the preface of the mass, how it was. It started as a more spontaneous prayer before the canon. Uh, I don't know. I heard yeah. if he didn't say it there. I, I just heard it recently. But I've been thinking about that. And as you. You know, you say, you know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God it is right and just. And then the priestess goes off on this, uh, on this like, it is right and just to give you thanks, Lord, you know, God. And, and at first, uh, it used to be more spontaneous. Uh, and then, you know, over time it becomes more formalized. But it's this, it still has the same character of us, like the heart rejoicing in God who has saved us, and and you know usually references the the mystery of the day. Um, that's yeah, that's incredible. We we have such a, a a great gift. So what we do at the Canons Regular is we offer what that we do what the Church says. That's what we're trying to do. We're, we're not. We're not inventing some, you know, liturgical, you know, thing that hasn't, that it's not from us. We're taking the books, we're reading it, and we're, but we're, um, the rubrics, the, the, the things that tell us what to do, we do, uh, more or less, we try, <laughs> you know, no one's perfect, but, um, but we, we take, you take it seriously. And then with that, the richness of the church's uh, history of art, the patrimony of art, right? With the music, which is so tied to the liturgy, um, you know, there can be good new compositions. They're rare, but there can be, <laughs> you know? Um, th- like, just the, the theology and the beauty of the older hymns and then the liturgy then like the propers of the mass which is to say the like the psalms that have been designated for each mass for each day uh to be sung in latin uh in, in gregorian chant i know that's a lot for some people and it's hard to say well you know why listen to something that you can't understand the words um I think a major problem with the liturgy today um, is, or the way we approach the liturgy today is what I'm trying to say, is is the we reduced everything to words. We reduce everything to uh, the masses about teaching something. Uh, and you're supposed to hear every word, and then you're supposed to process it like you're in a classroom, and then and then you have more information. You know, but there's something 
in us that is more than just words. Music lifts up our heart in a certain way. It, it teaches us something without us, even if we don't know the words themselves. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't know the words, you know, um, but um, we sing some Latin hymns uh, in the divine office. And uh, it's taken me a long time to learn some of the words of that. But then I thought, you know, it's my whole life. What if my whole life's journey is to come to understand this hymn fully? And so every, let's say, you know, every, we have a four-week cycle, but the hymns are a two-week cycle. So every Monday, I sing this hymn, and I learn one more word, and I, I, I see it slightly different. And it's like, and it's, that's what the faith is, right? If we, if we come to Mass and think we understand what's happening, we're, we don't fully. Yeah. We are so far beneath the Mass. Like, Christ comes to us in bread, you know, under the appearance of bread. And, um, and it's a mystery. He's God who's before us, but yet hidden. And so the music and the liturgy should give us some sense that we are just immersed in something that is far beyond us. Far, it's not, if I understand every word, I, I, I still don't understand the Mass. But honestly, some of those words of the Mass are, are for the priest to pray. You know, the, the weirdest thing is that people expect the priest to look at them when he's praying to God. Yeah. Like, he's praying to God, like, for you, you're part of it, and you should unite your heart to him as he's praying to God for you. But he's standing there as a mediator between God and the people, you know, as uh, that's, anyway, I know this is controversial, <laughs> but... Uh, but not really, because I mean, it's just the that's the this is the as Pope Pius the twelfth in Mediator Day and in in Vatican II, um, and the documents of Vatican II, which everyone should read. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I've covered it very well. I hope on this show, uh, Father Blake Brighton, yeah, no, I, I Dennis yeah, McNamara, and some some great guests on on the uh, the proper right. understanding of of Vatican II. And, and the liturgy. I teach RCIA at my parish, and I always explain Good. to the the candidates there that look, guys, you'll see the priest facing you, but really properly, he'd be facing away from you. And here's why: because he's, you know, he's the guy at the front of the boat that's 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 praying on your our behalf to to Christ, right? You know. And I liked, and I liked, and that picture is much more fitting and makes a lot more sense, right? When when he's there mm -hmm. in, in front of all of us, facing towards the storm right holding christ out at the front of the boat right in like in the sea of galilee in that storm right where where christ, yeah, sure. where christ said be still there's the priest doing that and on our behalf versus facing us and, and it makes a lot more sense the the mass from that small understanding so i'm right there with you with the controversy father <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i agree yeah so yeah there's there's a lot to do you know and um for some reason, uh, Father Phillips, our, our founder, um, he was, you know, he was attentive to God uh, in founding this community with the help of Cardinal George, and and so we're here and we're offering both masses, uh, the extraordinary form and the ordinary form, uh, as long as God permits. And Father Phillips used to say, you know, all this could end tomorrow, you know, um, 
which, you know, it always can. You know, you never know. So you have to go every day trusting God and do what is the best thing, right, for that day. And, um, yeah, God knows. Uh, so, first of all, the, the branches that have life in them will survive. Um, and, um, and, and sometimes surviving means martyrdom, you know. Um, the branches that don't have life in them, even if they appear to be alive, um, they will be they'll be plucked off and thrown in the fire. That's that's a harsh reality. Um, keeps should keep us all uh, really. We need to stay in a state of grace to have that like the sap flowing from the vine into our life. Um, because if we if we don't, who knows? Who knows? Um, God loves us and desires that we be united with Him and you know live in His grace. So, Father, it's been fun. Yeah, informative. Got a little dark there at the end, though. But uh. yeah, well, you know. <laughs> hey, these, do, do you think? Let me ask you. Do you, do you think these are dark times? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I mean, I think so, and it is. I I. I just had a guest on the show uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, Steve Weidenkopf, wrote a book all about the church's most dark times, and he said he always gets asked this question at conferences, because he talks about, he's he's a medievalist, he talks about the history of the mm-hmm. church in the Middle Ages, and how how dark it was then, and he goes, his response is, well, it's been worse, it's certainly been worse, and he wrote this book to kind of, to help people to realize that it has been worse, and to see the hope in, in these days that it wasn't as bad as the dark times. But it's a weird thing, Father, to be living in, you know, to be, I don't know, you always assume that that was back then and this is now and we're so much more enlightened and, and, and wise now. But that's a that's mm-hmm. a, a secular story, right? We're not any yeah. more, we're not any more wiser than the, uh, than the, the early church, right? 2000 sure, years ago, right? Sure, sure. No, I, I, I agree. Well, yeah, I agree. This is not the worst times that the church has ever seen. Um, I I do believe that things are getting worse every day, but I believe that things are getting better every day at the same time. Yeah, you know, like God is dividing uh, is dividing the uh, the just from the unjust in His own way, and and we're not the ones who. I mean, we have to worry about us being just. We're not here to do, to divide the just from the unjust. But God is doing that, you know, and um, so um, so let's let's praise God. Let's continue to serve Him and everything. Yeah, uh, I see absolutely no reason uh, for despair in yeah. these times. Yeah, uh, you know, I I don't always feel that way, but God is. I mean, God is the one who led us here, so He's going to one the one who's going to continue to lead us onward. And yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's a pleasure having you in the podcast. Uh, great to connect with you and have these conversations. Uh, it's it's fun to hear the other side of, of the story from your perspective and awesome to trace out your journey and uh, and, and the charisms that, uh, that you and your community bring to, to the church. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to say, I mean, God bless you and the work that you're doing, <laughs> Father. If people want to know more about the, the order... Or, or, mm-hmm. your, or your church, or where where should they go to uh, if if they are sensing they want to know more? 
yeah, uh, Cantus.org is the, the parish website of St. John Cantus, uh, where, where we're founded, or I think it's canons-regular.org. I think you can get there from Cantus.org. So it's C-A-N-T-I-U-S dot O-R-G. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you so much for uh, for having me on the show. And God bless you uh, in, in Ontario. A place to stand and a place to grow. Ontario. <laughs> is that still a commercial? Oh, is it, no. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Twenty that's years for, ago. Um, but uh Yeah. You're dating yeah, so us that's both the last now. time I that's the last time I uh, saw Canadian TV. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. That's a fantastic throwback. Well, thank you very much, Father. Uh sure. thanks for connecting. Thanks for braving all the technical difficulties along the way as well. Uh, getting this thing off the ground. So uh, yeah, thank, thank you, you for persevering. <laughs> sure, sure. Thank you so much. Awesome. It's yeah, been great. Well, there you have it, friends. My conversation with Father Nathan Caswell. I think it was a great one. Hopefully you enjoyed that, too. And thanks, Father Nathan, for braving about a half an hour of technical difficulties at the beginning of this episode before we even could get it hit record. He couldn't get his camera working and his microphone working, and it was just a (laughs) terrible time. But we got it under control, and I think it was a fantastic episode in the end. Hopefully you enjoyed it, too. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes and my blog. I have an article up there recently, a response to Dr. Gavin Ortland's uh, idea that Augustine affirmed sola scriptura. Well, I respond with the video and a very, very, very long blog post you can read there and links to all of our past shows as well. Cordial Catholic on Twitter and Instagram, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook and YouTube.com slash the Cordial Catholic for our YouTube channel to watch what you're hearing in these episodes. Patreon.com slash Cordial Catholic to support this show on a regular basis or PayPal.me slash Cordial Catholic for a one-time donation. Please do consider prayerfully, prayerfully supporting this show. If you like this work that we're doing here, that money goes back into helping this thing continue to go and to grow and it's much appreciated. Your your support is is fabulous. Please do follow the show wherever you find it, rate it, and review it if you can. Your written reviews on Apple Podcasts are especially important to helping to push this podcast out to new people. So those are are just fantastic. You can just leave a quick review. That would be amazing. Thanks for listening, friends. Know that I am praying for you. Please pray for me, too. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, friends. And God bless. Take care. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcafe. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.